0: Welcome to Rebel Executives, the podcast, where everyone has a story about a rebellion. It might be a small risk that ended up shaping the way you do business, or maybe it's the day you rage quit your job and started an empire. Together with other revolutionaries, we'll learn how to grow your business and avoid costly mistakes, because let's face it, none of us got it right the first time. Now, let's join the rebellion with our host, Don Sizer.
1: My guest on this episode has started multiple businesses, bought one, sold over 20 as a broker, and has seen a few go down the tubes, so he has seen some shit. He's earned his MBA with an emphasis in entrepreneurship from SDSU, multiple bookkeeping certifications, and was formerly a licensed business broker in California for a number of years. Now he's working hard to grow his company, CapForge, into a nationally recognized brand for small business bookkeeping please welcome Matt Ramuzzi.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank you for coming. I'm so excited for you to be here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, not everybody wants to talk to people who do accounting, but I promise it's not as boring as most people think. Well, no, that's not true. It is kind of boring, but it's super essential, super important. And there's actually a lot to be gained by doing it right. So I'd like to have a chance to give people you know, uh, the opportunity to learn a little bit more and maybe they won't hate it quite so much.
1: You know, you say that, but I actually had our accountant on not too awful long ago and we had a phenomenal conversation about the PPP and all kinds of interesting things. And I think we all learned a ton of information from that. So I don't think it'll be boring, honestly. (laughs)
2: I will do my best to keep it exciting and uh, and fun, and <laughs> we'll see how it goes.
1: <laughs> It'll be fine. So first thing I've got to ask you is what on earth does – I mean, what trips your trigger about bookkeeping? You're like, yeah, bookkeeping, that is for me.
2: <laughs> well, it's actually not my thing. I am, I consider myself, if you say, you know, what do you do? How do you self-identify as a business person? I say entrepreneur, I've started lots of businesses. I've, uh, you know, sold some, I've, uh, I've had some not work out, but my day in and day out go-to thing is I think about business. I'm an entrepreneur really died in the wool. Like if you could find one that was genetically an entrepreneur, that's me. The reason I got into bookkeeping is one, I, I mean, I did have a background. I had accounting. I took the MBA program. I went through all that. I, I So I knew how to do it and was competent in it. But what really got me going was working as a business broker, the first thing you do when you're a business broker is you talk to a business owner and you say, okay, let's put a value on your business. And let me see your financials and that's how we're going to figure out what this thing is worth. And so often, time after time, I would hear, well, funny story. I don't really have any bookkeeping. They were a mess there. You know, my cousin Joe (laughs) did it and he took a college course 30 years ago in bookkeeping. So I think he's probably, long story short, the books were a mess and it was a significant need that these small business owners had small and not so small business owners that, um, you know, I thought could be interesting once I realized that I wouldn't be geographically limited. So in, in my early days of thinking about a bookkeeping business, if I thought about one at all, I would have said, well, I don't want to just do it. I don't want to have a business where I'm confined to just working with local people, somebody in driving distance. Um, you know, there just not doesn't seem like a lot of opportunity there. But with the advent of cloud computing and software that you could use remotely, the world of bookkeeping opened up beyond just the geographic limitations of where I happen to live. And that then became interesting as a business because it's recurring revenue. It's a highly you know in demand service. And it's so easy to win in this space because most bookkeepers and accountants are so terrible at customer service that just by being not terrible at customer service, We seem like we're really good at customer service. We actually, I think we are really pretty good at customer service, but believe me, the bar is set low in accounting. So as a business opportunity, it seemed interesting to me. And I started in a spare bedroom, you know, just doing it myself, doing everything myself. And here we are, not that many years later, almost a thousand clients, clients in all 50 states, clients internationally, and we're growing almost 50% a year. So I think I was right in thinking that this was a good opportunity.
1: Yeah. So apparently that whole, this is, this is for me. went really well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's no. been a fun business.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hear you though. I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, I mean you literally, you're kind of like this shark that's swimming in the water going, Ooh, I smell blood over there. So you kind of follow that. And you're like, Oh, I see. This is a thing obviously, there aren't nearly enough people doing it or they're doing it poorly. So there's this, there's space here for me. And you find that little gap in the market. And apparently you found a really good one.
2: Yeah, well, and even luckier, and i its it was luck. It wasn't any strategic brilliance on my part, but about five You're years not ago. not supposed
1: to tell people that, by I, the way. Oops,
2: oops, edit that out. <laughs> uh, about five years ago, uh, we got a call from a gentleman who uh, was actually in New Jersey, uh, even though we're in California, and he said, hey, I've got this business I sell on Amazon. Can you help me with the books for this? And at the time, I hadn't done one before. Um, But I said, sure, we'll take a crack at it and see what we can figure out. And we did. we, We figured it out. And it wasn't like, you know, a restaurant or a yoga studio or whatever. It was its own thing. And we did a great job. And he was super happy. And he said, hey, by the way, I'm in a Facebook group and some other people are asking, do you mind if I put your name out there? And I said, of course, no, that would be great. And that niche of online sellers, e-commerce, accounting and bookkeeping has exploded for us. And so, you know, it's it's an exploding industry, especially with the last year. Everybody stuck home with COVID ordering online. But even before that, I mean, it's really fueled our growth being in a growing niche and being one of the few providers who really has an expertise in that particular area that on top of just being in a good business model has really fueled our growth.
1: So let's talk about e-commerce for a minute. I mean, when you're selling to the world, I mean, I know being an MSP and being in different states, there's all kinds of tax implications to that. So what are some little gotchas that people wouldn't necessarily think about running an e-commerce business?
2: Well, I mean, it definitely gets more complicated Um, in the old days. And by that, I mean, two years ago, it was more (laughs) complicated um, because, you know, if you were selling on a platform, you had to worry about sales tax. And you had to worry about, you know, who do I collect from and how do I pay all these different states and some businesses cropped up around helping people out with that. And that became really one of the biggest headaches that small sellers had to deal with figuring out how to collect and report sales tax in all these different jurisdictions, unfortunately, Amazon was kind of uh, had their feet held to the fire and they were forced to start collecting sales tax on behalf of these third-party sellers. So that part got easier, but still, if you're on different platforms, uh, Shopify doesn't collect sales tax for you, you have to do it manually. Or if you run your own website, um, you know, you still have those things to worry about. So that's one of the areas I still spend a lot of time consulting with sellers about how to make sure they don't get tripped up by owing states sales tax that they either didn't know they needed to collect or collected and now they're not sure how to pay it in
1: yeah because i mean that's literally guys you need like a lawyer for that almost and a cpa and all kinds of other things to figure it out especially when you're you know into the hundreds of thousands of dollars it gets really ugly really fast
2: it it definitely can and you know if you've got You know, you're set up in Colorado, say, and you have a person that works for you and they're in Maryland and another person who works for you in Washington state, you know, that even though it's a small business and we're only talking about, you know, three people and maybe two of them are employees or two different partners in different states that can get complicated quickly with the tax situation or we have a lot of people who go well i have a partner but you know i mean their name isn't on any paperwork anywhere but we're 50 50 partners like oh okay (laughs) so unraveling those kinds of situations um you know or hopefully preventing them in the first place but once they've created been created and we're sort of brought in after the fact all right well let's figure out how do we make this right without causing any huge problems for anybody um, you know, those those kinds of things come up all the time, and, and we're happy to help, but uh, if you could call us before you get in trouble, <laughs> that's even better.
1: <laughs> exactly. If the IRS has shown up, it's too late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess the next thing... Let's talk about why you should consider outsourcing your bookkeeping because as a small business owner, you think, oh, well, I can just throw everything in QuickBooks and it'll work out fine. I'll hand it off to my CPA at the end of the year and they can deal with it, right?
2: That's what people think. And I mean, into it, right, they they make it seem like it's so easy that anybody can do it. Um, but my my little speech on this is always that look, you only have so many hours in the day, right? And there's certain things you can outsource and certain things you can't. One thing you can outsource probably is growing your business, right? You've gotta meet with customers. You've gotta figure out if you're gonna hire employees. You've gotta make those strategic decisions and spend time on that stuff. If you're spending time doing the books, then you're probably not spending as much time as you could growing the business. And what's the better return on investment, right? Getting another client, hiring another key employee, making another strategic partnership, or figuring out what your bank reconciliation, why it doesn't reconcile and there's this 30 bucks, you can't figure out where it goes, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So by outsourcing to a firm like ours, you can offload that administrative task that it's very easy to offload, very easy to get professional help for, and then spend your time doing things that you can't easily outsource or have somebody else do for you. And then, P.S., you know, it takes a fair amount of time to learn how to do bookkeeping and accounting correctly. Yes, you can sort of half-ass it quickly and get something that's sort of right, but uh, time and again, we have clients come in who've left Literally thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on the table because they were trying to do it themselves. They didn't know what they didn't know. They made mistakes or left things out that they could have done. And yay, yeah, you saved you know 200 bucks a month on a bookkeeper, but boo, you lost ten thousand dollars on right. your tax return because you forgot a major thing. So you know you the the um, that saying about you know the most expensive amateur you hire or the most expensive person you hire is the amateur instead of the professional. And I butchered that saying. But anyway, there's something about don't be an amateur, pay for a professional because it'll save you money in the long run.
1: And that's very true. I mean, even with an MBA, me sitting down to do our books, I still make mistakes. Or when the accountant said, hey, why don't we take a look at them? Well, we'll do what we need to do with them and do them the way that we want them, essentially for the taxes. (laughs) And I was like, y'all got that. I'm good with that. Because I'm very much money in, money out. And as long as it's money in, money out, we're good. But when they start, you know, splitting payments and doing things certain ways, so it accounts for different things in the taxes and making sure that we're showing depreciation on places. And it really does save you a ton of money when it comes to tax time. You're a fool to do it yourself.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think virtually every client we bring on we've saved them more than what they've spent with us whether they've been around for a year or 5 years or more we're we're able to make it not an expense but really an investment right if you pay me 2500 bucks or 3000 bucks for the year to do some stuff for you chances are i've saved you 6000 or 10000 or more dollars Uh, In just doing things that you didn't know about or or helping give you advice or making not making mistakes you probably would have made because we see people who try and do it themselves make those same mistakes so you know you think of it as a cost because you see the money go out each month for the service, but what you're not seeing is the money that you're getting to keep or the money that you're not spending by doing this versus trying to do it yourself.
1: Exactly. And especially the moment you start owning things, the moment you have an asset, get somebody involved to start helping you. You will not regret that. <laughs> <trust me.
2: laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Assets can get expensive quick.
1: Exactly. And I think the next thing that you'd want to take a look at is payroll. Cause that's the next point of failure for most uh, business owners <laughs> is trying to do payroll yourself. Cause again, QuickBooks, right? You can just run payroll right through there. What could possibly go wrong?
2: <laughs> right. Except that a lot can go wrong. And and <laughs> the biggest problem with payroll, I mean, you know, the software does the calculations for you. That part's not that hard. But what happens we see so often with people who try to do their own payroll is they miss deadlines and unfortunately even missing it by a day carries significant penalties. Usually a, enough of a penalty depending on how big your payroll is that you could have paid for a payroll service for the whole year if you hadn't missed that one deadline, but that penalty is equivalent to the payroll service you could have had that would have taken care of it for you. It's easy to miss. You've got federal payments you have to make, state payments you have to make, and then that's just when it's very straightforward. But, you know, if the employee comes in and they've got a garnishment, well, now what the heck do I do with this? I'm supposed to withhold a certain amount from their paycheck or, you know, they they need their sick time tracked, they want their vacation time tracked, or there's a worker's comp claim. I mean, it can quickly go from, what's the big deal? I just put in a few hours every week to, oh my God, this is a nightmare. So, That's why you pay a payroll service. Again, so the nightmare is somebody else's nightmare and you don't have to have it. You just say, oh, here you go. Here's the papers I got. I don't know. You guys take care of it. And on you go, your employees get paid and all those headaches get handled by somebody else. But when you're doing it yourself, now you're the buck stops here person for all those pains in the neck that you have to deal with.
1: And, and that's very true. So story time for, <laughs> for those of you following along. Um, I mean, we've worked with a couple of different payroll companies. We've never done our own payroll, which thank goodness we've never done that. Um, but we have had issues with some of the payroll companies that we've used. Now we've used some of the big, large national ones and they would turn over account managers so fast that every time we had a question, we'd get a different answer from a different person that we've never heard of that's not a good scenario. That's not a good relationship. And it's very difficult. You know, your company doesn't change all that much month to month, but if you're changing people that frequently, and you're trying to ask questions, that's not going to get you anywhere. But the biggest one for us is we used a local payroll service at one point, and they just stopped paying our taxes.
2: Mm, Yes.
1: (laughs) And we get this letter from the IRS that says, hey, so you need to pay your taxes because, like, we come get you if you don't. <laughs> you know? like, what do you mean we haven't paid our taxes? I'm like, I've paid the payroll, of the company's bill. <laughs> so I call them up and they're like, they've been now, keep in mind, they've been doing payroll for almost a year at this point. And they're like, oh, we thought you didn't want us to pay your taxes. I'm like, I'll right over. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, yes.
1: So it took almost two years and almost $10,000 to fix that. To give you guys an idea of just how expensive that can be.
2: Yes. I wish I could say that's the only time I've ever heard a story like that, but it's not. (laughs) Right? It's, It's unbelievably common. Not that it happens that much, but that it happens at all blows my mind that sometimes these little local payroll companies, you know, for either by mistake, which seems hard to believe, or I've heard it the other way too, on purpose, they stop paying people's payroll. And then at a certain point, you find out the guy left and he's in Mexico, the employees there are just as confused as everyone else, and they hadn't paid anybody's payroll for months, They'd been collecting oh, all those taxes and, you know, hiding the letters and and he just, you know, absconded with the payroll. So craziness, craziness can happen even when you use a service. So obviously you've got to vet the service you're using, but trying to do it on your own can be worse. So oh, yes, yeah. yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. But build that relationship with whoever you're going to do your payroll. Make sure that you have a relationship. So if you do have an issue, it's an easy phone call. Hey, what's going on? We're, we're seeing this and they can say, you know what? We'll just take care of that for you.
2: Right. I mean, and it's you know, it's one of those things. It seems like, well, I've got a payroll service and I know they send me a, an email every time they run payroll and there's some attachment. and I don't even look at it. But really you should look at it and just make sure they're confirming that they're making the payments and you're up to date and everything is current because you don't want to find out the hard way that your payroll guy is now in Mexico.
1: Exactly. Well, and the funny part, like my story there, they were actually showing that they were paying them. So you can imagine, I mean, I was, I was to like the murder point. being unhappy and you never want somebody that unhappy with you. No, no,
2: no, like
1: that's, no. That's bad. That's bad yeah. for you right there. So Yes. So yes, be very careful with your payroll. And I think the other thing with payroll too and a lot of people don't realize and and this might be a Pennsylvania specific thing, I'm not sure, but locally if we move, our taxes can change. So You have to be very careful with that, too. So if one of your employees moves, you need to change their address right away. Make sure it gets updated because. the
2: Right. Yeah, we don't have quite that same problem uh, in California, but many states do. But one of the things the other now that you mentioned that the, the if you have employees who happen to be making the minimum wage, Just for example, in San Diego, there's a San Diego County rate, but then there's also a higher San Diego City rate. And then there are other cities in San Diego County, like Del Mar, that have different minimum wage rates, and then even different wage rates if you have up to 24 employees or 25 and more employees. So... If you're not careful, you could be paying people the wrong rate and then later get in trouble because you've been underpaying your employees unintentionally. But the labor board doesn't look at it like that. They look at it like you've underpaid your poor minimum wage employees. So it's just one of those things. It can get tricky fast on the surface. It seems easy, right? I only have four people that work for me. I report their hours. It's a piece of cake. What could go wrong? (laughs) You'd be amazed what could go wrong (laughs) in a short time. So just don't mess with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and like I said, it's just one of those, unless you absolutely know exactly what you're doing and you've done payroll previously, by all means, just let somebody take care of that for you because you only have so many hours in the day and you can do so many better things with that time. (laughs)
2: Absolutely, and to your point too, uh, or your your part of your story, right? And using the bigger firms, they are challenging to work with because they have a lot of turnover. That's just how those guys work. But one of the other things a lot of people don't realize is if you go, you know, ask them for a quote, they're commission salespeople. So do not treat it like a regular service where whatever they tell you is what it is (laughs) you can definitely negotiate and ask for better pricing and don't pay the first number that they give you and a lot of people just don't realize that they assume it's sort of like you know, legal services or accounting services or whatever, this is how much it is for this many employees. And they go, oh, okay, that's what it is. But really, no, I mean, sometimes people are paying two, three, four times what someone else with an identical number of employees and setup is paying just because, you know, that that's the offer that was thrown out and they took it and they didn't ask any questions. So I don't think a lot of people realize you can negotiate the payroll rate that you pay with those companies, but you absolutely can and should.
1: I didn't know that, no, but that would make perfect sense because you're right. Most of them do have compensated salespeople. And of course they're trying to make whatever points they can on every sale. And yeah, so completely understand that one. So I, you know, while we're talking about payroll and other things like that, let's talk about tax filing because I think that's the that's the other mistake that a lot of small businesses make. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to run this through TurboTax. I'll put my stuff in at the end and, and it'll be fine, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, TurboTax is great if you're an employee and you have a W-2 or you and your spouse each have a W-2 and... And that's really all there is to your income. And there's just not a lot of room to have variables, right? But if you're a business, even a small business, never mind a big business, you absolutely have opportunity to think about and be strategic with what goes on the tax return, what kind of entity you are, what kind of deductions you might qualify, how you write things off, the timing of events. There's a lot of variables that go into it. And- you know, you, depending on who you're going to, the person may or may not know that, right? If you're using TurboTax, I guarantee it doesn't, it's not asking you every question. It's not thinking about your personal situation. It's software meant to work with 30 million people across a bazillion different, you know, backgrounds and whatever. So it's just giving you sort of the the average response, the best it can do without knowing anything about you. Or you could go to a place like H&R Block or some of the real, you know, sort of generic low-cost tax providers who, again, are are really geared towards helping people with just a couple of basic W-2s. But if you're a business owner, they're not really set up to understand what you have going on and to help you maximize and strategize on getting the best tax return that you can and paying the least amount legally without getting yourself in trouble. It really does pay to go to somebody who knows what they're doing for a business.
1: It does, especially when you're talking about deductions and some of the deductions that you can take as a business owner. And when you're talking about maybe an education deduction or a childcare deduction or things along those lines that you may not know that you could qualify for can make five, six, seven, ten thousand $10,000 difference with one checkbox.
2: Absolutely. Yes. And And then, you know, going to somebody who even knows more about your industry, like, for us, right, we specialize in, we have so many clients who are in the e-commerce, Amazon space. Amazon 1099s are not like most 1099s. Most 1099s say, here's how much you were paid, and that we're telling the IRS so that you have to pay taxes on this amount of income. But an Amazon 1099 includes all kinds of stuff in the total that you never got. So when somebody orders something, and then immediately cancels that order, right? Amazon didn't even get the money. That amount is still baked into their 1099, which is craziness. But if you go to a a CPA who's not familiar with how Amazon does their 1099s, they're going to come up with a tax bill for you that is much higher than it should be. Not very long ago, we just got a client who wasn't even a client. He called us and he just said, I just don't think this is right. $75,000 refund because his CPA didn't really understand how this stuff worked. So if you've got a business of any size at all, again, you're going to save money in the long run by going to somebody who knows what they're doing and specializes in business versus just trying to be cheap about it and finding someone on Craigslist to do your tax return for a couple hundred bucks.
0: Rebel Executives is presented by Third Element Consulting. If you wanna consider your IT solved, Find us at third Yeah, I mean
1: we have a um we have a Facebook group here for a lot of the small businesses. And I've seen, I don't know how many small business owners be like, so I need somebody to like help me out with my taxes. And like every bookkeeper on the planet's like, I can help you or have you looked at H&R Block? And I'm thinking to myself, Oh Lord,
2: <laughs> help you. No. <laughs> don't, do <it. laughs> oh, don't do it.
1: Please don't do it. Like, you just feel so bad for them. I'm like, Oh, you poor people. Good luck. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I, it's you know I I don't know again people I think they're thinking well gosh I don't you know it's fifteen hundred bucks or something to go to a, a business CPA who can do the business return but if they save you ten grand <laughs> what did you know exactly. versus the guy that paid, charged you two hundred dollars and completely missed all those write-offs and deductions you could have had right where where was the real savings right it wasn't at the two hundred bucks.
1: And the only other thing I will say about CPAs is make sure that they do a lot of continuing education, because if they're not keeping up with what's going on in the world and what the tax code has, you're not going to get the deductions that you should because they won't know about them.
2: That is 100 percent true. And it's. You really can't avoid the continuing education or, I mean, you shouldn't be because things are constantly changing like this year and last year, which is coming to home to roost this year, all the PPP loans. We had lots of clients get PPP loans. They kept changing the rules on how they were going to be treated, whether they were taxable or not, whether they're taxable at the federal level and at the state level. I mean, It's not something you can put your head in the sand and just say, well, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I'm sure I can handle it. Ah, no, it it changes all the time. You've got to stay up to date. In fact, I would say if your CPA is still the kind of CPA who says, fax me something, change CPAs. (laughs) Or if they say, mail me your state, no, forget it. If you're not using a computer, you don't know how to open a PDF, you can't use email, I don't want to work with you because I'm 100% sure you're behind the times on a whole bunch of other stuff, too.
1: 90s called They like, so you know, if they can even call, can they still call in the 90s? Yeah, I guess we maybe. still had like handsets back then, didn't we? It's, it's been a while. I'm trying to remember, like it's been so long since I've had an actual phone at home that I can't even remember when I had one last.
2: That's it's weird. been a long. It's been a long time. So yeah, I mean, if your CPA is, you know, if they have a rotary dial on their phone or they <laughs> their cell phone flips open, uh
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely so I, I can flip in for like story time here again we had a cpa when we first started the business and it was the same kind of thing like we thought they were doing well and they missed a ton of deductions and when you don't know what you don't know it was the after the fact we had switched cpas different group looking at it saying oh hey you get a deduction for this and a deduction for that And i'm thinking to myself you know what i went without a salary for a year and a half and that deduction would have made my life a little bit better. That would have been fantastic to know about that back then, especially like the the childcare credits and things like that, that you would have gotten. So be absolutely certain that you're using somebody that's completely reputable, that knows what they're doing and knows your situation intimately.
2: Absolutely. And they should be, it should be a two-way street, right? You don't just send your stuff to them and then A month later or whatever, they send you back a bunch of papers and say, sign this and write a check for $25,000 or whatever, right? They should be communicating with you, asking you you know, did, what happened in your business this year? What happened in your business last year? What are you planning for your business in the coming years? And, you know, what else is going on? What other things do you have in your life that, you know, we could potentially look at and juggle and go, you know, kind of coordinate back and forth between your personal return and your business return? If they're not doing any of that, if they're just simply taking what you give them at face value and then returning some paperwork with a number on it the chances of that number being the best and and lowest number it could be is almost zero.
1: That's true. Absolutely true. I can, I can tell you that from personal experience that that is absolutely true. And, you know, we got off track with the PPP. I think we should circle back to that for just a moment. Um, A lot of you who have gotten the PPP, if you haven't done your forgiveness paperwork yet, be sure that you do. You need to get that done. If you need help with that, be sure that you do contact your CPA, And they will help you fill that out properly so that it gets forgiveness on your loan.
2: Yes. Yeah, they've made the forms a lot easier than what they started out to be. And if you're in the hundred and fifty thousand and under category, it's really super simple. Um, It's it's not quite name and address and loan amount and signature, but it's close um it's a but and then if you're over 150 it's still not bad it's not nearly as bad as what they were originally talking about having people do but now the banks i've started to have more and more clients who've been getting the notice that they are able now to submit their forgiveness applications um and once you get that notice there's really no reason to wait at this point go ahead completed. If you have questions, check in with somebody to make sure you're filling it right and then get it submitted so that you get that cleared off your books and it becomes no longer a liability for you.
1: Yep, because it does make your company look better and you definitely want your company to look better as we get into the next topic, which is buying and selling businesses. Mm-hmm. So, uh- Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. This is like this is a huge topic to try to unpack, and I know you mentioned it earlier in the, you know, you always want to make sure that your books look good as you as you go down that path of getting ready to either buy or sell because people are going to look at it either way.
2: Right. Well, and it's you know. A lot of us treat business, selling our business like we do treating our home, right? You run around at the last minute. I got to fix that broken light bulb. The garage door opener doesn't work. There's some paint chips here. I'm going to fix this stuff up, you know, on Friday afternoon and it's open house on Saturday. The problem with that approach in a business is Businesses are valued on their historical performance. The, the most recent 12 months is generally what the valuation is based on, but buyers are looking back at the, at least the last two to three to four years. So if you run around fixing a bunch of stuff now, you're not getting any credit for it. The, those changes, those improvements, whatever you did, they're already baked into the last 12 months that you've been uh Not before you fix them. So you're not getting any credit for them. Um, But now that you fix them, the buyer is looking at it and saying, well, those aren't things I can fix and improve the business for. So you lost sort of both ways. When you're thinking about selling a business, you really want to plan out at least a year so if you want to sell in 2022, now is the time to start thinking about it and figuring out how to optimize things so you can get the maximum value, attract the most buyers, and have the smoothest sale. Don't try and do it five minutes before you decide to sell is when you decide to prepare to sell because you're never going to get the maximum value. And in fact, you may have um, you know, more negative consequences and a lower value than you even could have had if you'd just given it a little bit of preparation.
1: That is very true. Um, And the other thing is make sure that you're working with a broker that knows what they're doing and how to evaluate your your business, not just a business, which is a little bit different because a lot of times there are niche markets for certain businesses. And depending on who evaluates that business, it could be worth more.
2: Definitely. Yeah. There's lots of specialty brokers and the The thing with the specialty brokers is they have access to the buyers who are looking for those kinds of businesses and they know how to package them correctly for those kinds of buyers. So if you've got, you know, a restaurant and you're working with somebody who mostly sells accounting practices, it doesn't make any sense to go together, right? Or vice versa, right? Your accounting practice isn't going to get sold by a restaurant broker. So um you know you want to match what you're selling with somebody who's best qualified and has experience selling that specific kind of business but again i think the best thing you can do is plan far in advance prepare get yourself ready and the best thing you can do is set your business up so that a transfer is easily accomplished right if you're the key piece of your business you personally make all the decisions you talk to all the customers If you take a day off, everything falls apart, right? If that's the way your business runs, you're going to have a tough time selling it. You want to be able to take a vacation for a week and have the whole thing keep running right along smoothly without you, right? Start, Start delegating, start setting up SOPs, setting up procedures, be able to not be the bottleneck for all decisions and all activity in your business because if you are it's going to be very hard to find somebody who's willing to pay you a good amount of money to then step into that full-time job where they can't take a day off
1: you're you're like speaking my language there with writing sops and things like we it people we like to hear that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh that's lovely (laughs) but it's true i mean you want to Yes, you work in your business, but the moment you shift from working in your business to working on your business, you can start planning for the time that you can work yourself out of your business, which is exciting.
2: Absolutely. If that, that, to me, is sort of the test of, of how well your business is doing, right? It's not just about how much money is coming in or even the profitability, right? Can you take a day off, a week off, a month off, how long can you be gone from your business and not be a total stress case that everything is going to fall apart without your presence? If the answer is only a day or two before the wheels really start coming off, and at the end of a week, I might as well just close the doors because it'll be such a wreck, that's a good indication that you haven't really spent the time to build your business into something that is a good saleable asset. Right. And not to mention the fact that it's now you, if you can never take a vacation, you're going to get burned out and then you're going to sell it for way too low a price because at a certain point you just get sick of it and can't get yourself in the door one more day. So I I think the best advice for any entrepreneur, of any size business is already be planning for how can I get this business to run? without my regular and continuous input how do I build it in a way that it doesn't entirely rely on my action and my decisions to be successful and to the the extent you can build that into your business you're going to find it not only forces your business to run better and grow bigger and do well but also it's much more fun to run it and much less stressful if you don't feel like boy if I don't go in today that's it we might as well close the doors because it's all over
1: Yeah, it's so much less stressful that way. Trust me,
2: (laughs) so much less
1: stressful. (laughs) Nothing like that, but I mean, when you start sitting down and start doing your estate planning and things like that, and you can start planning out at that point, like, okay, here's the estate planning going. I know that in X number of years, this is when I'm going to work myself out of the business. Then X number of years, I'm going to sell. And then you can kind of build that plan based on that and then start talking to a broker like, hey, here's the situation. This is what I'm looking at. How do we structure this?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, so I've come to you, Matt, and said, all right, I want to start thinking about this in three years. So I'm in, I'm in that sweet spot of that two to four years of historical data that people are going to want to look for. So how do I start getting myself set at this point to get ready to sell?
2: so you want to kind of look at some of the things that you do as a business owner who is very involved in their business to a business owner who's well positioned to sell so one of the things that we see all the time with business owners who are just who aren't thinking about selling and they're running their business as a personal empire right chances are they've got credit cards personal credit cards that the business is paying for they've got personal expenses running through the business they've got you know maybe the business has uh, two or three different things sort of co together. Maybe there's a, an operating business and then they also own some rental real estate and they own some other stuff, you know, and they're, it's sort of all, all co-mingled. And the attitude is, hey, it's all my money. What's the big deal, right? I know what everything is. Why do I have to, you know, worry about kind of cleaning things up? Which is true if you're not planning to sell and doesn't, you know, you don't care. But as soon as you're starting to think about selling, you really want to get those personal accounts out of there. You want to separate different businesses into at least different silos, if not different entities, so you can track them individually and split them off if you do. And, folks, you know, this
1: is what LLCs are for. Up. Up.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the great way to do it is split things up into their own entities, don't have All income flow into one bank account if they, you know, two or three different businesses. um, You know, if your, your spouse has a side business, don't flow that into the main business. Basically make things clean and clear so that if you have to tell a story, not just about how your business works, but about, you know, explaining the financials and the profit and loss statement and everything you don't have to do a lot of well this is weird but here's what happened and oh well that doesn't make sense but oh and, and this is why this thing is here and oh don't look at that that's for my dog and you know, <laughs> you know two or three or four of those and pretty soon the buyer is going what this is a mess i don't want to inherit this mess i don't i don't i can't even tell what's coming or going here you want to have a very simple clean straightforward here's the money in here's the expenses Here's my profit. Every year it goes up. Every year I make more. Anybody could run this. Literally, you could take a mop and stick a bucket on its head, and that could run my business for a month, and it would still be profitable. And now the buyer is going, shoot, that sounds fantastic. I would love to buy a business that could be run by a mop with a bucket on its head. You know, because it, clearly I could do, I feel like I'm smarter than that mop, so I could do a great job with this business. You don't want the buyer to think, oh, my God, I don't, I don't, can't even understand what this guy is telling me. I don't think there's any way I could run this business and I'm not sure I'd even want to, because it looks like such a disaster.
1: Right. Nobody wants to step into that. I mean, one of the reasons that you're buying a business is to make money, not to waste time. I mean, that's, that's the end goal, right?
2: That's what they're looking at. That's what they're basing the valuation on. So the messier, uglier the business is, the less somebody's going to want to invest in it. And if you've got a, A good business, but you've made it look ugly, then you're not going to get a good price for it. And all that upside and opportunity is going to be taken by the buyer, right? It's like flipping an ugly house right? The, the front is all messed up and it's overgrown with weeds and stuff. And so the house sells for a low price and a guy comes in and does a little landscaping and a little paint and a couple of new windows. And now he sells it for twice what you, you know, you sold it to him for, and that could have been yours, but you just need to take the time to do that maintenance and make sure the curb appeal is there. And if you don't, well, then you can't be mad that you got a low price for your business. Cause that's how you treated it when you sold it.
1: Exactly. And, I think one of the other things that we should mention is even if you're not planning on selling anytime real soon, getting all of your ducks in a row like you're going to sell, isn't necessarily a bad thing because if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, what would your spouse have to deal with or whoever is left in the business? And I think you need to take that into consideration too.
2: I I think you are being an irresponsible business owner. If you don't, especially if you have employees, right, you have people who are depending on working in your business for their living, you have a certain responsibility to make sure that things will run smoothly, even if for some reason you're not able to come into work every day. And it doesn't have to be as as bad as getting hit by a bus. I mean, you could have a sick kid or a sick parent or you know a, a personal health emergency or whatever that just takes you out for a couple of weeks but if during that two weeks everything falls apart cuz you did no planning and you you set up no processes and you didn't have any kind of delegation of key responsibilities you know it, that's that's going to be so that's going to be super stressful on top of whatever thing happened that pulled you out of you know being able to go to work in the first place so being responsible i think means planning to have a business that can run without you and the other thing that happens is you start to spot if you go through the exercise of let's clean up this business and pretend maybe i'm going to sell it i probably won't but let's go through the exercise you start to find all kinds of stuff. Hey, Why are we still paying for that storage unit? We haven't used that in three years. Or why are we paying for three water deliveries a month when the guy only comes once? Or why do we, you know, know, all these different things, we've still got that IT guy, or or we haven't looked at our workers' comp insurance quote in years. Why are we paying $15,000 for, you know, we've got four employees and they're all office workers. You start to see these things that before you didn't really care about because you weren't looking at it, and you were making enough money that you weren't worried, but cleaning it up and going through that process, you find all these undiscovered opportunities, which create more profit, which in turn creates more value when you sell the business. Even if you don't sell the business, it's still more money in your pocket now.
1: Exactly. And if you have a good CPA, they're going to hound you every single year anyway, but
2: (laughs) yes, they (laughs) will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is this line item? Like, I don't remember. I'm sorry. (laughs) You have to go back and look, but I mean, there's, there's plenty of that that goes on when, when they're double checking your books and you have a a really good bookkeeper. Not only are you, you playing that game of, okay, let's clean everything up, but they're going to go through your books and make sure that one, you're not making a mistake, but they are going to question some of the things that are there too. Like, Hey, this seems really out of line or have you looked at this recently? Or, you know, what is this thing?
2: Right. Yeah. They're going to ask and, you know, hopefully, you know, and have a reasonable explanation. But if you don't, that's a trigger to say, well, yeah, why are we paying that much or what is this or how come this runs through the business? This, you know, really goes should go with my personal account or my other business or something. Uh, It's definitely a worthwhile exercise. Keeping the business simple and clean and straightforward makes it much easier to spot when something does go wrong. Sometimes people have things happen You know, even fraud on their credit cards or things like that or or subscriptions they should have canceled a long time ago. But it's so lost in all the other chaos and mess that they never spotted or they never look at their financials and and compare month to month to see what's going on. And so you just end up finding out you've been spending all this money wastefully um, that could have easily been prevented, but it was just lost in the shuffle with all the other stuff going on.
1: Yeah, and that it does. It happens. I mean, books are noisy. I mean, it sounds really silly to say, but the amount of, you know, entries and stuff that you have going on in your books all the time, especially if you're running a thriving business, it's noisy.
2: Yes. And then sometimes people overcomplicate it, too. They'll have you know, three or four or five different checking accounts and 17 credit cards. Well, I wanted to get the miles, okay. But, you know, you've bounced or, you know, made late payments and all kinds of stuff, the zero interest that was such a great deal, the zero interest expired, now it's 24% interest and you didn't notice. And you still got a balance you're carrying on that card. You know, you make intentional decisions if you're going to open a second checking account for some reason or you're gonna get a 0% credit card make it an intentional decision and set up a time, you know, on your calendar in the future. Oh yeah, cancel that card or transfer balance, or cancel card or something. Don't just run around like a chicken with your head cut off doing stuff that it seemed like a good idea in that 5 minutes, but you know, 6 months later you can't even remember why you did it and it's ended up costing you way more than the the, the free toaster or, you know, the $100 gift voucher or whatever it was you got to sign up in that moment
1: yeah and if you're a corporation make sure that you're writing that into your minutes too so you don't forget why you did something or didn't give yourself permission to do it that's something you'll run into later on if you need to have your um, minutes looked at for any reason whether it's you know registering as a specific type of business or if you're going to sell they're going to take a look at those too
2: yes yeah it doesn't take much work to do it right and keep it up to date it takes a lot more work to you know, realize, oh, I got to go create ten years worth of minutes because we've never kept minutes. We've <laughs> never done that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> we're all in that boat in some way, shape, or form. But if you can just get into the habit, I mean, you're already signing up for something. You just make a quick note. It doesn't have to be anything major, and just slip it into your corporate binder, and away you go. Exactly. So.
2: I've got some clients you could talk to for me if you don't mind. <laughs> I've told them, but maybe they like it, you know, hearing it from you instead, because I tell yeah. them the same thing. <laughs>
1: Sometimes it, it does go better if they hear it from somebody else. So if people listen up, you're going to open up that corporate binder and all the crazy stuff that you've thought of in like the last year that you decided to do. You're going to write that down and put it into a nice little memo and stuff it into that book.
2: <laughs> yep. That's what you should do.
1: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that sometimes too, and I'll think about, and it's the same kind of thing. I go back at the end of the year and of course, the CPA is like, hey, I need you to do X,YZ. I'm like, oh, you know what? I need to write a minute for that just to put it into the book, so it's in there. it's it's not, you know, not recorded in some way, shape or form.
2: Right. Yes, keeping reminders is, is key because th- we've all got busy lives. There's so many things going on. You know, relying on yourself to remember those things yeah, is won't. just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's not. So that brings us almost up to the, the top of the hour, believe it or not. So I know you said, oh, this was going to be dry and boring, but I don't think it has been at all.
2: Well, good. It was my goal to try and make it as exciting and lively as possible. So I hope that's what I, we got to. I,
1: I think we did pretty well with that. So we talked a little bit about bookkeeping and why we'd actually want to do it. Gave you all some horror stories to think about (laughs) that I've seen (laughs) myself. I'm not talking about a friend, but um, (laughs) so you want to make sure you don't make mistakes with your bookkeeping because it can actually cost you a lot more than your bookkeeper can. So anybody that has a business, whether it's small, medium, large, make sure that you have somebody that takes a look at your books and double checks everything for you. The same thing for payroll folks, don't try to do it yourself, unless you have somebody that's in house that can actually run payroll and does it for a living, that's fine, but otherwise you're going to outsource that, you don't have enough time in the day to actually do it. Same thing with your tax filing. Make sure that you have somebody that you trust to take care of your taxes for you. And be sure that they are a CPA and that that CPA is continuing their education continually and not just doing it every now and then. Tax rules change, especially in years like this one. If you guys are Amazon sellers or doing anything with e-commerce, please be sure that you find a firm that knows what they're doing with e-commerce, especially for Amazon sellers. Amazon does his very special 1099. If you get somebody that doesn't know about that, your taxes are going to be way off. We also talked about buying and selling of businesses and why you'd want to do either one of them, but especially on the selling, getting yourself ready to sell if you choose to do it. And even if you're not actually going to sell in that time period, going through the process of doing it will allow you to find a lot of the little mistakes that you've made along the way and correct them. Did I miss anything?
2: I think that was an excellent recap.
1: All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I had a fantastic time.
2: Great. Me too. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for having me on.
1: So that's it, everybody. That's it for this episode. If you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe if you haven't and rate us if you would. Thanks. See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Rebel Executives with Don Sizer, the podcast that gives you an edge over traditional business thinking and helps grow your business without making costly mistakes. You can join the other Rebels taking the steps to become more effective leaders at RebelExecutives.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, long live the revolution. The revolution.